Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. The honor and the privilege of introducing a great, great man of God. I'm going to tell you just a couple things about him, and then I hope you will show him how we welcome people here at the river. This man of God, I think he can correct me if I get some dates wrong, but about 18 years ago, he found out that his good friend named Pastor Stephen Furtick was going to start a church. And he told him something real simple. It went something like this. This is not the exact words. He can tell you the true story. He said, not without me, you're not. And, and that sounds nice, unless you know the circumstances. This man co-founded Elevation Church with Pastor Stephen Furtick. He sold his house. He moved to a new city. He took a leap of faith like something I have never heard before. And he has been loyal at that church, serving God for 18 years now. And he is now multiplying what that ministry is doing all around the world. And I am just so honored that he would come and bring the word tonight. He is a family man. He has four beautiful children. He might tell you a little bit about them. One of them is almost an adult. Corbin's, what, 17? He's an OG at Elevation, which I thought stood for original gangster. But he says it stands for old guy. (laughs) LB, I've been stealing your jokes for a long time. But we don't live stream, so you don't know that. Would you just... Give the biggest, most warm Canadian maple syrup covered Tim Hortons double, double the trouble. Welcome to Pastor Larry Bry. Love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. Love you. Hey, stay standing. I didn't say sit down. Stay standing. Sometimes we move from a moment too fast. Sometimes we move on to the next thing because it's hard to be in this thing. You know, the hardest place for me to be is like right here. It's easy to be in yesterday's mistakes, tomorrow's uncertainty. Sometimes we rob ourselves of the gift of presence just to be in a moment. Would you close your eyes? Some of you have been running and you're tired. And you're smiling on the outside, but, but on the inside, it's, it's different. And so God brought you here tonight for a moment, a moment for you to see his face, to hear his voice. When you hear God's voice, what voice do you hear? Is it the sound of displeasure or the sound of acceptance? When you picture his face, is it a look of disappointment or a loving father looking on his sons and daughters? If you're comfortable, would you raise your hands? 
you're not comfortable, raise your hands. So, Father, we come to you in worship. Simultaneously, a position of victory and surrender. Some of us are failing to celebrate the victories that you have had in our lives. Forgive us. But also, we raise our hands in surrender. Some of us have been fighting battles that were never meant for us to fight. So we surrender that at your feet. We surrender all the clutter and the chaos of life. We surrender our own efforts trying to prove our worth by getting it right. We surrender the shame that has been a dark cloud that's enveloped us. We surrender the thoughts of suicide that seem to run a little bit closer together and we wonder will we make it another day. So as we surrender that, we pick up your grace. We breathe in your forgiveness. May your peace rest on your sons and daughters. Thank you for this moment where we could reach our hands to heaven as you reach down to us and it creates an intersection for your glory. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. And everybody said amen. Now put those hands together and celebrate God. Celebrate it. Let me, let me give you our verse before you're seated. Stay standing for just one more second. I come from Elevation, and we like response. So if you hear something good, you might say, amen. Preach that, white boy. Do what you got to do. When I grew up and my mama made a good meal, the way I celebrated and got more, is like, mmm, come on, mom, cook. And so maybe, just maybe, keep that music going. That sounded so nice behind me. I just want to give you a verse to consider. The, the, um, let me give you the title up front. It's this, it's, it's I'm coming with. And here's the passage that I would give you to consider for the few minutes we have as we kind of wrestle with the subject of I'm, I'm coming with. It's, it's out of Matthew chapter 4. It says this, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. I would just like to pause there for a second and say some of you feel so unseen. Feel like nobody sees you. I would just like to submit to you from the scripture that God sees you. Even if the world didn't notice you. Even if you didn't get the call back. Even if they didn't follow up. He sees you. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me jesus said and i will send you out to fish for people at once they left their nets and followed him now i want you to say it with me say i'm coming with that was about 22 percent participation let me try it again say i'm coming with that was a little better how about we try it one more time? And some of you, you might feel like you could say the words with your lips, but it's different because I can sing that song, but I don't, I, don't, I don't feel it. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. 
So as we say this title one more time, it might not ring true in your heart fully, but which will define you, the feeling of the faith. Which is the one that will overflow from your health, the fe- the, from your heart, the feeling of the faith. Feelings have stole too much of your destiny. And what I would tell you, man of God or woman of God, you have forfeited more territory than the devil will ever steal. And it's in this gap between feelings and faith where I don't feel it. Because I don't feel it, I won't say it. But we're going to say it one more time. Say, I'm coming with. with. Excellent. Give 10 people a hug. At least 10. And once you do, then you could be seated. Thank you so much, my friend. Make sure you give everybody hugs. All right, some of you are hugging way too many people. It is such a joy to be with you tonight. Man, you guys are taking this hugging business for real. I didn't think people in Canada hugged. My goodness. This is awesome. Hey, would you help me thank Pastor Ryan and Pastor Lindsay for this incredible atmosphere called the river. We honor you. We thank you. And then the privilege to meet your dad, Pastor Charles. Like, man, what a legacy of faith. Like, I don't know if you've had a chance to know that man or meet that man, but the way your son speaks of you, it's one of the best things I've heard in a long time. It really is because you have sowed such seeds into them that this is accredited to your account. So we honor you. We thank you. What a privilege. The blessing you see began with sacrifices that nobody sees. It's a truism. What you see, the blessing, began with sacrifices that nobody sees. So how many years has Pastor Charles been faithfully sowing and sowing? And sowing. And now this is, look at the harvest. And so man, now if God can do that with the few seeds that you sowed, what can he do with all these seeds? What can he do? What can he do with the seeds represented in this room? That's not what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about I'm coming with. I remember as a little kid, my dad was my hero. I'm one of five kids from Minnesota, a little farm town. Uh, the five kids were Lonnie, Luann, Leslie, Larry, and Lance. Yeah, you betcha. It was a good Catholic family from Minnesota. And, and we would go to church on holy days of obligation, but the only time Christ was referenced was never in a prayer in my home. And uh, some of you caught that. And, uh, and so, but as a kid, I just wanted to be with my dad. And if I knew he were going somewhere, I would grab my little red hat, put it on, and I'd say, Dad, I'm coming with! Because I just wanted to be with my dad. He was my hero. And some of you, when I say that, I see you smile because you understand that. And I realized the same way that I looked at my dad is the same way my four kids look at me. And it makes me go, oh, snap! I hope they don't see all the things that I do because they might not think I was their hero. And I remember... Many times I would go with my dad to out wherever he's going, whether it's to an auction or anywhere. I just wanted to be with my dad. But eventually the day came where I would ask, like, where are you going? What time are you coming back? Who's going to be there? 
is there food? Because I kind of got to the point that I was more concerned about what I was going to do than being with him. And I think sometimes in faith that demonstrates the journey that we walk on where we start evaluating where we're going to go based upon what we get or what's waiting there for we get there. I think some of us operate with a calling. How many of you would say there's a calling on my life? God's put a calling. And we use a lot of preacher language. I got, I got a calling. I don't know. My calling is to know Jesus and make him known. I think we complicate it. We think calling means I grab a microphone. That's a performance. Doesn't mean they're called. But I think in the church world, we have a lot of conditional calling. What's the salary? What's the title? What are the benefits? Do I get to be known? Do, do, are people going to report to me? And we base our decision based upon the certain set of conditions that are conducive to our preferred outcome. I think we have a lot of situational savior. And if the certain situations of things come together, yes, he's my savior. But if they don't, I don't know. Maybe some of us are more fractional followers. I remember as a little kid just wanting to be with my dad. But I remember sometimes we'd be driving home, just me and him in the pickup truck. And he would just be kind of swerving a little bit. He, it was, I thought it was kind of funny. He'd make a joke about it. But I remember one night where my opinion of my dad drastically changed. And I said, Dad, I'm coming with. I grabbed my little red hat, put it on, and we drive into town, little sleepy eye in Minnesota. We pull up to an establishment. And I would just sat in the truck for like four hours. And my dad was inside the building. It was called the Delroy. It's a bar. I was eight. And I could take you to the day in the parking spot that I said, I'm just wondering what's going on inside of the Delroy. So I sneak into the back door of the Delroy and I saw my dad sitting at the end of the bar. And then I look at the owner, Jerry, he sees me and he shakes his head and he's like, get out of here. In that moment, I saw my dad's humanity and he was no longer my hero. It wasn't just that he was no longer my hero. It's the day I felt like I lost my father. Some of you walking through life right now, you feel like you've been abandoned. And it wasn't just that I felt like my father abandoned me. It's where I go back and I recognize the spirit of being an orphan settled on my life. I'm here to talk to anybody who's dealing with an orphan spirit. You know that spirit where you just don't feel like you belong? Because that was such a pivot point in my journey, in my life. Because after that, I felt like it was now the only way I could get my dad to notice me was by performing. And I started to do so many things just to get his attention, just to get him to notice. Because the orphan spirit is always craving somebody else's approval. The orphan spirit is always looking for someone else to validate them. Are there any orphans out there? Are there any orphans in Canada? Or am I just talking to me? Maybe I'll just talk to me then. But I came to talk to you because I want to speak to anybody who's dealing with an orphan spirit. You feel like you've been abandoned. You feel like you've been overlooked. You feel like you're used goods on the sale rack. And that orphan spirit always has you hold your pillow. Because you don't know where you're going to be. And you've been bouncing from place to place. Relationship to relationship. Looking for somebody else's approval that cannot come 
through them. So when I said, I'm coming with, it was this desire to be in the presence of my father. But once I saw his humanity, I no longer wanted to be in his presence. And I not just looked at my dad like that, I saw God as that. Because I said, God, if you would do that to me, you can't be good. Any orphans in this room tonight? I came to speak to you. God sent me on assignment to speak to any orphans. Anybody who's been running through life, feeling unsettled in their soul because the person that should have seen you, the person that should have been there, they weren't. And now at this age, I look bad at my dad and I feel sorry for him. Because what he put me through is the same thing his father put him through. It's the same thing his father put him through. That's called generations. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to create a moment that the generation that was handed to you is cut off. And it no longer gets handed down. So in our story here out of Matthew, you see these two characters that are just walking by the Sea of Galilee, Peter and Andrew, and they're just doing their normal thing. And they're just casting a net into the ocean. And Jesus just happens to walk by. Coincidence? I think not. Coincidence that you're in church tonight? Nope. God had this date circled on the calendar, even if it was a last-minute decision by you. He knew you were going to be here. And so Peter and Andrew just happened to be casting a net by the lake. And Jesus just happens to be walking by. Just happens to. Now, in that culture, you need to understand the way that people saw Jesus and the way they saw the term the kingdom. Say the kingdom. Again, let's work on our participation here. The kingdom. Much better. Because the Jewish nation would have been expecting a savior. It was prophesied. A Messiah. A rescuer is going to come. And he's going to redeem nation Israel. They'd been under years of oppression, going back to Egyptian slavery, Babylonian captivity, now Roman oppression. And they had heard the prophecy, and there's going to be one who's going to come on a horse, a military hero, who's going to deliver us. Yeah, take that, Rome. So you got to understand, as Peter and Andrew are casting their net, they had an idea of what the kingdom was. What's your idea of the kingdom? When you paint a picture of the kingdom, what picture do you see? Peter and Andrew would have heard about Jesus. They would have probably had met him by this before. But there's something different about this encounter. Some of you have seen Jesus. You have heard about Jesus, but you have never followed him. And I think the moment that God wants to create here in this place is now for you to become a follower. Not an observer, not a casual witness, but a follower. Because in that culture, in that culture, what would have happened is if somebody would have wanted to follow a teacher, rabbi. What would have happened is the, the students would have gone to the potential rabbi and said, Oh, Mr. Rabbi, um, would you please be my like teacher? And now the teacher would be like, you're too tall, too short, you can't get on this ride. And they would now judge them based upon whether or not they wanted to invest in them. See, the currency of the world is one that measures your performance. And it decides whether you're good enough, whether you're tall enough, smart enough, pretty enough. And some of you have always felt like you're just not quite tall enough to get on that ride. Jesus comes to flip the kingdom on its head. 
Because in that culture, the students always had to go to the teacher. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm flipping this whole kingdom upside down because I'm coming to you. I'm going to pick the ones that nobody else wanted to pick. I'm going to pick the ones that everybody else says isn't smart enough. Some of you feel so ugly. And it started as age eight when somebody made a comment about your weight. They can't remember, but you can't forget it. And it drives how you see yourself. And the reason you are running after relationship, after relationship, to satisfy something that cannot be satisfied through them. It can only happen because a father comes into your life. So when Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, hey, come, follow me. He is being so countercultural, and he's flipping it upside down saying, no, 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 there's a new way of the kingdom. It's not about how good you are. It's about how great I am. And I am drawn to the ones that everybody else overlooks. If you feel overlooked, if you feel marginalized like an outcast, God came to you. And he's coming to you now. Come, follow me. Not just like me when it's convenient. Does your calling come with conditions? Jesus, I'll follow you to here, but... I don't know, it's, uh, what time are we going to get back, and who's going to be there, oh Jesus, we're constantly evaluating our following based upon the conditions that are suitable to our preferred outcome. So what you see in the text here from Peter, and Peter's the character I really want to zoom in on for a second, what you see him in the text here is there's a place that Jesus is my savior, and Jesus becomes my Lord, and I would submit to you the two are two different things. And sometimes we just kind of mash them up, but I want to separate them and look them at it at a way that says they're different. In, in, in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, the words Lord and Savior are used only four times in the New Testament. All four are by Peter. There's something that Peter's trying to underscore in our understanding that gets you to realize that Jesus is more than just a celestial being. He's more than just punch a ticket and get into heaven. He's more than just by and by one day when I cross over. He is the here and the now because he came to establish the kingdom on earth. Not just eternity then, but the kingdom on earth. And some of you have settled for him just being your savior. It says this, 2 Peter 3, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Savior means rescuer, means redeemer. What are we saved from? We're not saved from circumstances. We're not saved from situations. We are saved from our sins. And some of the, have, who have held the microphone, who have watered down the gospel, to mean follow means just to make a, a, a momentary decision, but to not really count the cost of what does it mean to follow him. And what am I being saved from? Is Jesus your savior? Is he the one who redeemed you? Because this is the one, Jesus, the one who hung on the cross. And the only reason he came to earth, his divine assignment, the destiny was for him to go to the cross. His calling was to go to the cross so that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we would be brought back into right relationship with God. You can clap for that. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, they didn't kill him. He gave up his life. 
He gave up his life so that you and I could be forgiven. So that you and I, through the gap that created because of sin that separated us from God, his blood, his substitutionary death paid the penalty for which you and I should have been held liable for. As he's hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I submit to you in that moment, the father turned his face away from his son. And he orphaned him in a moment. Jesus did not feel his father's presence. And Jesus hanging on the cross became an orphan. Because his father was separated from him in a moment. So that the shadow of death would not land on you and me. And then as he's resurrected, he's, he's going. And he says, as I go, I will not leave you as some of you didn't hear that. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send my spirit, the comforter, the guide, the paraclete, to come inside of you. No one comes to the Father but through him. You know what? You don't make a decision for God. He chooses you. He chooses you. He chose you. He said, that's my son. That's my daughter. I gave up my life for you. He chose you. And what some of you have right now is the Holy Spirit is leaving an indelible mark on your heart. You feel it. You know it. It's undeniable. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit tapping you, say, I see you. Now, will you follow me? We are dead in our sins. A dead thing cannot make a choice. The Holy Spirit chooses to tap you and to say, will you Follow me. Normally I wait till the end of a night like this to give an invitation, but I'm going to give an invitation right now. And I want to be very specific with the invitation. The invitation is this for all who need to be saved from their sins. Not your circumstances, not your situations, not your mess at home. I'm talking about the sin, the thing that separated you from God, the sin. I'm not talking about a commitment to try harder or do better. I'm talking about I need to be saved from my sins. I'm going to give you an invitation right now. The gospel says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. What we're going to do right now with everybody looking and everybody's eyes open, we're going to say a prayer right now for some to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus died a very public death for us. And if you need to receive him as your Lord and Savior, this is the invitation to follow him. Will you follow him? Without anybody moving in this moment, I want you to pray with me. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the grave to forgive me of my sin. I give you my sin. I give you my shame. Forgive me and I will follow you the rest of my days. 
And if you just prayed that prayer and you just gave your life to Jesus and you just asked him to forgive you of all of your sins, I am going to count to three. And with everybody looking and everybody watching, I want you to publicly say, I am choosing to follow Jesus. And if you just made that decision and if you just trusted him, I'm going to count to three. If that's you, jump up on your feet. One, two, three. Stand up right now. Stand up right now. Yes, stand up right now. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Oh, praise you, Jesus. How about all of us stand up and praise God for a second? Stand up. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Oh, praise his name. Oh. And if you just made that decision, oh, you need to know that your father, he sees you and he loves you and he chose you. And he knows you by name. And you have been saved. And some of you, you prayed that prayer with your mouth. You meant it in your heart. You just didn't stand up on your feet. You know what? Standing up doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. You, you can have a seat. I, I want to... I want to continue to focus in on his character, Peter, for just a second. Because, again, he's the one that says, our Savior and Lord. So the story here, Peter says, okay, I'll follow you. And now he begins this journey of three years of just following alongside Jesus. And some of you are like, oh, I wish Jesus would show up and talk straight to me. No, you don't. Because you'd have no reason for your disobedience anymore. You could no longer excuse away the decisions because Jesus is with them. But he's with us because we got the Holy Spirit. Ah! But you see this interesting journey with Jesus because everybody who says they follow him, they, they don't always. I'll give you a verse that I want to zoom in for just a second and then zoom back out. It's a verse that I don't think you'll ever forget. It's John 6, 66. Okay, it's not a good number. We all know that. <laughs> Is it a coincidence that John 6, 66 says this? No, because Jesus, again, he's coming to establish the kingdom. And he's going to say things that contradict your belief systems. Which one wins? What Jesus says or your belief systems that you have built your life on? And Jesus is going to challenge their ideas. And he's going to challenge their things. And he's going to challenge their thinking. And he is doing that today. And what happens is every time you get your belief system challenged, you have a choice. Will I keep following him? And what you see in the story is Jesus is, is, turns around and he says, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no part of me. Now, that's a tough teaching. Pastor Ryan will preach on that in two weeks. It's because I love you. But John 6.66 says, From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Isn't that an amazing passage? 
that they're disciples. And if you look up the word there, it's the same word to use to describe Bartholomew and Matthew and these other guys. So there's not a differentiation of class because they're, they're the same. But there's something about these individuals that at that moment they chose to turn back. In, in the Bible, there's a, a term called repent. It's a military term. It means that if we're all walking in formation. Because you know what Lord means? It's the one who sets the direction. The Lord is the master. Is Jesus Lord of your life or are you? Because whoever sets the direction is the Lord. Some of us are our own Lord with a small L. And military term of repentance means we're all marching and the commander has said this is the direction we're going. But you decide to go the other way because I don't want to go that way. Who's going to be there? What time are we going to get home? Is there food? And the military commander would yell, repent. And what it means is to turn back and to come back into alignment. Some of you just repented of your sins and you began a relationship with Jesus. Praise God. That's the decision to let him be your savior. But for him to be your Lord means I do a daily dying to self in the direction I want, and I turn back and come back into alignment. Some of you are out of alignment today. Some of you, you know that God has said this is the direction. And you looked at it and said, mm, not today, Jesus. Now, when I do that, it's not because I hate Jesus. It's usually because I despise myself. Because an orphan spirit never feels settled in going the direction. What happens, Pastor Andrew? When, when we're called to lead in the church, and we lead with an orphan spirit, we don't build a church, we build an orphanage. So anybody who's called to the task of putting their hand to the plow and leading the local church how you see yourself determines what we become and when you don't see yourself rightly you punish the people following you that's generational sin it's generational conditioning so John 6, 66, it's easy to look at, oh, those horrible people, I can't, they, I would never, yes, you would, and you did, and you will again, knock it off. But it's easy to read ourselves out of the text rather than to see, yeah, I, I turned away from you earlier today, Jesus. I turned away from you in worship because I did not want to confess that sin, I'd rather hold on to offense. I, I know I should make that relationship right, I just don't want to. Because you are Lord, because the Lord sets the direction. The Lord sets the destination. He's the Lord of your life. Thank you. A few more things I want to teach you, and then we're going to sing a few more songs. This is helpful for anybody so far. In the middle of this journey, actually towards the end of the journey, Peter is, is, is following, along with these other disciples, they're following Jesus. It's funny because when, when, when it said in John 6, 66, it says, many left. Jesus looked at the 12 and said, are you going to leave me too? 
And Peter said, where would we go? Remember Peter said that. Where would we go? You're the author of life. Where would I go? Jesus is like, okay, cool. I got that. I know. I know. I know. Because he knows it all from the beginning. And in, in, in Luke 22, it's this famous story. Jesus is about to go to the cross. It's at the Last Supper. And you have this amazing exchange because the conversation is going on at the table. Who's going to be greatest? Do I get to sit at your right hand? Yo, yeah. Because they're all bartering for position. They're all trying to, like, prove that they belong in a certain seat. They're going back to the old ways of the human kingdom that tries to justify based upon performance. I had the best performance, so I get the closest seat. Some of you have relegated yourself to second-rate, second-class, and you're settling for scraps on the floor when you've been given a seat at the table. Why? Because you feel like an orphan. The orphan feels at home on the floor, never feels like he belongs at the table. And in Luke 22, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon. Now, when you're reading the scriptures and you see a name repeated, it's a Hebrew term of intimacy. It implies whisper. It means I'm so close. You can hear me because I'm whispering. Simon, Simon. Do you hear the whisper of God? Do you hear him calling your name? Susan. says, Simon, Simon, the, the next part is just astonishing, Satan, what, has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, oh, praise Jesus, thank you that you're praying for me, thank you, no, he says, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, you catch the language there? When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to death. I would never. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, today, not tomorrow, not in three weeks, you will deny me three times. What does denial sound like in your life? Some of you. Denial sounds like rationalizing. You know, it's just, it's silly, the whole tithe thing. So I don't have enough in my budget, so I just won't do that. And you're denying Christ in that area of your life because whatever you withhold, he can't bless. Thank you. That's a partial clap. I appreciate that. What, what does your denial look like? See, sometimes denial is like a big decision. Let's go smoke crack. Sometimes denial is, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. You're a little lonely. Phone rings, you're like, hey. It says, it says the, 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 he's, the, the enemy is like a roaring lion. Rawr. Sometimes it's, hey. You see, sometimes denial is a decision. It's a big intentional decision in the moment. Often, I think more of the time, denial is a slow drift. See, a decision is, I'm just going to move 50 feet and get right there. The, the, the drift 
It's just, it's just real subtle. Oh, look at the new lights they got. Hi, Yadier. And then you wake up and you're like, how did I get here? No one of those steps were significant, but all of them added together are tragic. Holy Spirit, show us where we have been denying you in our mind, in our heart, in our words, in our relationship. If you don't know how you've been denying Christ, the devil has got you right where he wants you. Because he will keep stealing your milk money every day. Because today, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. I'll never do that. Never. But when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. When you have repented, come back. I thought this is the one who said, I would never. Where would you go? You're the author of life. They all leave you. I'll never leave you. So the decision to make Jesus your Lord is a daily decision to determine the direction. Who sets the direction for your life? And are you determining your obedience based upon the preferred outcome? Who's going to be there? What time are we going to get home? Is there food? Some of you made a decision for Jesus to become your savior tonight. But some of you need to make the decision to let Jesus be your Lord. And Peter follows Christ to be bloodied and beaten and bruised for you and me. Flesh torn off his body for you and me. And Peter's at a distance and they ask him, like, hey, weren't you with him? He's like, no. And he's getting agitated in his soul because when you walk in disobedience, it's the Holy Spirit stirring you. Some of you have that discontentment. It is not your bank account. It is the Holy Spirit. It is not a lack of resource. It is the Holy Spirit. And you're not responding in obedience. That undeniable voice that's louder than anything audible, it's tapping on you. Say, there's a better way. You don't have to do it that way. I have to believe that as Peter, he feels this. He's like, oh. And then the second time, weren't you with him? Don't you know him? No. And it says the third time, the rooster started to crow in mid-sentence. What would that sound like in Peter's ear as he hears that sound from the rooster crowing three times? And in one of the Gospels, it says, in that moment, Jesus looked at him. You mean he's being beaten and bruised and bloodied? And in that moment, he loved Peter so much, he saw him at his lowest moment. He saw him. He didn't look away. He looked at him and says, Peter, I still love you. That's the God that we serve. He's looking at you. And he sees you. He's not intimidated by your shame. He's looking at you with a loving face and a loving voice. And it says that Peter, he, he started cussing. And he walks off. You imagine the shame that he carried walking away. Yeah, you can imagine that because that's what happens when we walk in disobedience. And I have to believe the heart of, this, of Jesus looking at Peter in that moment was not of disdain of, 
It was one of love, like, Peter, but I knew this was going to happen, and I still chose you. I still picked you. I knew you were going to get that divorce, and I still picked you. I knew you were going to make that decision and compromise yourself, and I still picked you, and I'm still looking at you, and nothing is going to change the countenance on my face because you are my son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And if the story ended there, it would be such a sad story. Jesus is crucified. The kingdom of the world is rejoicing because they had put out this religious uprising like all the other little religions that had popped up. And they thought they stepped on it, but they didn't. They, there was a little flame, but they stepped on it, and the ashes spread. And it starts spreading, and now they got a fire going on in the city. It's undeniable that God has left his thumbprint on that place. But Peter, you got 40 days of Jesus appearing in different places. And then the band, you guys can come back up. And in John chapter 21... You got this amazing encounter where Jesus shows back up on assignment for Peter. Peter had gone back to old places. Remember, he, he, he turned back and he went back to that old, what old place have you gone back to? It's not because you don't love God, you're just disappointed in the circumstances. And rather than be disappointed every day, I'll just go back to at least what's normal. It's not healthy, but at least it's known. It's not good for me, but at least it's familiar. Some of you are f settling for familiar rather than pushing out in the direction that God has called you to. And so Jesus shows up. And Peter's back fishing with all these other people, and Jesus is standing on the shore. He's got some fish frying on the fryer. And he's like, hey, put your nets out. Like, okay, and then they haul in such a large catch. And then they realize, Peter realizes it's, it's Jesus. And he jumps in the water and goes up to Jesus. Now, the last time he saw Jesus face to face, Peter was denying him. Oh, and now he's having to look Jesus in the face. In fact, as I picture the story, I don't think he's looking Jesus in the face. Because when you have disappointed someone, you don't look them in the face. When you disappointed your father, you're looking at the ground. That's the prodigal son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired slaves. That's always the orphan spirit. I'm not worthy to be one of your sons. And I submit to you the evidence for why you should reject me. That decision, that denial, that drift, all of it paints a picture that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired slaves. And I love that Jesus knew what he's doing in this moment. And he has this amazing encounter with Peter. And he, I believe he's looking Peter right in the face. And he says, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. I mean, he's still not looking Jesus in the face. Then he asks him again. He says, do you love me more than these? And then, you know I do than feed my sheep. And then I asked him a third time, and it says that Peter was grieved. Like, 
you know all things. And I think this is the moment that he looks up and he sees Jesus face to face. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18 and 19. He says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. I think Jesus is saying to him, like, will I be the Lord of your life or will you? Is it about the clothes you want to put on and the direction you want to go and the people you want to impress? Or is it about being obedient to me? And, and Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would, be, would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Fascinating. I thought he was just supposed to follow him to fish for men. Now, with Jesus as Lord, you're not going to be fishing for men anymore. You're going to be feeding them. Because when you're the Lord of your life, all you want is to satisfy your desires. You want to get what you want to eat. And some of you are in a relationship just trying to get yours. It's not of God. But the Lord determines the direction. So Peter, when you're old, this is that moment on. It's not when, just at the very end of his life. It would be the next 30 years. From that moment on, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But now someone else will dress you. And they'll put labels on you you don't want. They'll put things on you that you didn't pick. They'll try to make up stories about you, but you got to keep walking. You got to keep following me. And he says, you'll go where you don't want to go. And some of you have not let Jesus be Lord of your life because you're afraid of the direction. You're afraid of the unknown. What if he takes me a place that I don't like it when I get there? God will get glory. But when I go back to, to Peter's denial, Jesus said the thing that I'm fascinated with in that story, when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. I love this. When I saw this, it made my spirit jump. When you have repented and you come back into alignment, these people that you're standing with, you need to strengthen them. The word strengthen paints a picture of somebody who's famished. Somebody who's starving. The image there is that I would bring you food. When you have turned back, strengthen your brother. What was he going to feed them? When Jesus called him up onto the shore, 
he had a meal for him. And Jesus looked at him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he looked up and he made eye contact. And he was looking grace in the face. What are you going to feed everybody else? The grace you just ate. The forgiveness you just received. The blessing of me coming into the middle of your mess and standing there with you. Feed your brothers. I call you son or daughter of God. It is time for Jesus to be Lord of your life and start feeding others. What do you feed them? The grace he gave you. Every time you repented and you got back into alignment, you ate his grace. You felt his grace. Stand to your feet across this room. Making Jesus the Lord of your life is not a one-time decision. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily, pick up his cross, and follow me. Salvation is, is a one-time decision. To be your Savior is a one-time decision. But to be your Lord is a daily decision. What I want to give you the opportunity to do right now is to repent. God has said this is the direction I want you to go. But you have made a decision to walk away to deny him? Or you've just slowly drifted away from it? Just trying to soothe your conscience and squelch the Holy Spirit. Thinking that each step I take away, the voice will become quieter. But he's close, and he's saying, Ryan, Ryan. And he's calling you by name, and he's giving you the opportunity to repent for your denial. And then when you receive that grace, you're going to go somewhere tomorrow. What do you feed them? <laughs> the grace you just ate, and you talk about the goodness of God, and he saw me. And he picked me and he forgave me again and again and again and again. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I can always come into your presence. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Nobody moving. Where have you been denying him? God is pointing that out specifically. He's not assailing your character. He's showing you your sin. And he's giving you the opportunity to turn back, just like Peter did. To turn back and get into alignment. Will you let Jesus be the Lord of that area in your life? Or will you keep trying to do it in your own strength and in your own power? This is not an invitation for salvation. This is an invitation in this moment to say, yes, you are my Lord. And you repent of where you've drifted, where you've denied, and you turn back and get into alignment. If that's you and you know there's a space in your life that you need to turn back, would you just... Raise your hand. Nobody's looking. 
I just want you to make a declaration. Lord, that's me. That's me. That's Peter. Come on. I want to see who I'm going to pray with. And so, Father, I thank you that your word is true. It's right. It's powerful. It's effective. Thank you that it will not return to you void. It has been sent into the hearts of your sons and daughters. And it is making the spirit of orphans flee. I pray against that spirit that makes it feel like they're unacceptable, like they have to do something right to earn your favor. But God, you freely give it to your sons and daughters, and it's not based upon what we do. But God, that you have shown us very specifically, there's a sin. There's a space where we have drifted, and we wound up in a place like, how did I get here? And when we got there, you were waiting for us on the shore. God, thank you. That you give us a seat at the table. You don't rub our nose in it. But you call us sons and daughters. And you give us grace. But that is not meant to be just eaten. That's meant to be distributed. I pray for some mature followers. To quit settle for eating. And may they choose to feed. To feed this starving world grace to feed this famished nation the glory of God may they go back into the marketplace and speak of the God who forgave them may they go back into the classroom and stand tall and not deny you but to declare I know people are going to think they're weird but God may they feel your ever present voice saying well done good and faithful servant so for those that need to repent repeat this after me father father thank you that you call me son or daughter thank you for loving me enough to show where I've sinned against you and I choose to turn back and come into alignment. May I receive your grace and see myself as a son and operate in a way that feeds others. So God, we give you glory today. We thank you today. We celebrate your goodness today. So we raise our hands in this place. We raise our hands and we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. We magnify your name. We love you, Jesus.